Again, this Sunday, uh, we're going to hear reports about uh, what this team experienced uh, in Thailand. We're going to hear from a few of them. Uh, but just a reminder, this idea of the church sending and then hearing back of reports of what happened has been going on a long, long time, ever since the first century. There were two guys that were sent out from the church of Antioch, the very first sending church. Their names were Paul and Barnabas. They had fasted and prayed, and the Lord selected these two men uh, to lead an expedition into Gentile territory. The church began to send. And when they came back from that first missionary journey, here's what we read in Scripture. They, Paul and Barnabas, uh, caught a ship back to Antioch where it had all started, launched by God's grace and now safely home by God's grace. On arrival, they got the church together, and reported on their trip, telling in detail how God had used them to throw the door of faith wide open so people of all nations could come streaming in. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That's what sending is all about, to open doors of faith that others might know. So uh, Southside sent two teams totaling 17 people, August 10 through 27. Thank you so much for sending these folk uh, overseas. Even more than that, thank you for praying for us while we were there, understanding that is truly the lifeline of all that happens is prayer. Thank you again for praying. Now, each one of these folk was responsible for raising $2,000 of personal support, and the monies that we raised here at Southside through fundraisers and etc., our tools left behind for the workers to use. And so we're very grateful for each of you. Now, each of these folk took at least nine days off work. Uh, They went to Thailand. It was rainy season, so it was more humid uh, than usual. They endured the heat and humidity, the culture shock, bug bites, stomach distress. Uh, Some of them had uh, some concerns about being packed tightly together in crowds. Uh, And if you live in Bangkok, that's the way you live. And so they got to know other people really well that way. Uh, They put up with spiritual, emotional, and physical exhaustion. Some of them jet-lagged out here and there. Remember those days, Rhonda, of jet lag? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, they got to spend lots and lots of time with me, which is the best thing of all. So uh, why... Yes, I like that. Amen. So, why did they go? Why did they go? Well, we mentioned this last week. I think it's worth uh, repeating again. Buddhism is Thailand's largest religion. About 95% of Thailand is Buddhist. It's mandated by law in Thailand. Thailand is a Buddhist nation, therefore. And so, Christianity coming at less than 1% of the total population uh, some say it's up to 2 or 3%, but at any rate, a very small percentage. And most of those uh, are scattered around the country, uh, and most have not heard the good news of what Jesus has done. Uh, sex tourism uh, is a significant source of economy uh, in Thailand in the 60s and 70s during the Vietnam War. Uh, American troops were flown into various cities like Bangkok and Pattaya, and uh, there they reported for R&R, which for you military folk is what? Rest and, Rest and uh, relaxation, right. 
Uh, most GIs during that time called it I and I, uh, which had a little different meaning, intoxication and intercourse. Uh, that's what they were there to do. And so because of that, in 1966, the Thai government passed the Entertainment Places Act, which meant police would now turn their back and ignore military prostitution. And that began then uh, the whole birth of the incredible sex industry in Thailand. Hmm, kind of interesting. We have a stake in all of that. And so now it's estimated 7 out of 10 Caucasian men flying into the city of Bangkok will be involved in a sex tour at some time during their stay in Thailand. 7 out of 10. It's just epidemic. Thailand currently has the highest frequency of HIV in Asia. Thailand also has one of the worst child sex trafficking records in the world. So the needs are great. That's why they went. But the good news is the doors are wide open for Jesus to be shared. And these folk were a part of that adventure uh, together. And we want to push back the darkness. And that means going to places where there is limited or no access to the gospel. That's where we uh, want to be. And so that's why we went. And I'm so grateful for this team. I'm so proud of each of them. We had a, a meeting yesterday uh, of the team and still continue to process what God has done in each of your lives. And I hope it's eternal change and transformation. The stories I'm hearing from you are just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And so uh, these folk uh, cried a lot on this trip. Uh, every single one of them uh, cried, and some of them a lot more than others. Uh, they cried for various reasons. Uh, they witnessed uh, families kneeling down before idols of gold, the spirit houses, the, uh, the sense of spiritual oppression in that place. Uh, I watched as you walked the streets of Bangkok down in the slums and gave food away to some people that don't look like you and perhaps repulsed us, uh, at least at face value, and yet I saw you reach out in love, not only with food, but words of hope and encouragement. I watched as uh, team members wept inside of the prison of the Immigration Detention Center. Yeah, we took them right down into prison. And we'll hear more about that in a moment. Some of you were with me when we uh, walked uh, along the streets in the slums and saw the one-hour brothel and talked to a woman there uh, and saw her life and what it was like. Uh, some of you participated in helping women uh, get ready for their night's work. And you helped them apply their makeup and you put on fingernail polish. And I watched as you wept as you saw these women later working the streets in the bars of Bangkok. Pretty profound, pretty profound. You saw them caught in the horror and exploitation of the whole sex trafficking and human trafficking industry, and yet you reached out with love toward them. That was incredible. I watched as many of you shared your stories all over Thailand, your own story of your journey with Jesus, and you wept as you told your story, and you watched and you looked out and you saw others weeping because they identified with your story that we're all broken people and we all need Jesus. And your hearts were knit to theirs. I'm so proud of you. And I laughed as I watched you guys bounce around on the back of elephants and uh, went for tuk-tuk rides and some of those races we had in the tuk-tuks on the street of Bangkok. Weren't they delightful? How many of you rode on a motorcycle taxi? 
Uh, these are the brave ones, or foolish, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but various forms of transportation. Uh, watch as you ate fruit from Pakistan, Lebanon, and Thailand, and some of you kind of flinched. Others of you inhaled it. Uh, many of you had beads of sweat on your forehead, and your nose started running when you ate some of that food, and that's all part of the experience. Some of you got in taxis going the wrong way. That is always delightful. And uh, I really enjoyed at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, looking at each of you completely soaked through with sweat, your clothes, your pants, right? Everything gets totally saturated. Ah, those are good memories. But you guys sent these folk, and you can be very proud of them. They represented the Lord Jesus, first of all, and each of you as a part of our church family very, very well. I'm really proud of you guys. And so we have several sharing this morning again. So I'll dismiss those of you who aren't sharing and those who are up on the platform. Let's give these folk a hand and thank them for their sacrifice. Let's pull these things forward. These guys want to see you right up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Good. Well, Liz, Liz, you were there the entire time, huh? Indeed, I was. By the end, you were getting a little tired, weren't you? I don't know what you mean by that. You uh, traveled from Bangkok up north to Chiang Mai, and you saw some very incredible servants of Jesus along your journey. You saw joy in those who are serving the Lord there, Jeff and Annie Dieselberg, who were here uh, in June. You saw Patras, a Pakistani refugee. You saw Sam and Pat Sarvis on the streets of Thailand. Um, We're hoping Sam and Pat will be here in February uh, to share some of their stories. You saw Ivan uh, working with the homeless and street people. Absolutely amazing. And you got it each morning. You were so excited to be in Thailand. You love that place, don't you? I love that place. I know. Indeed, I do. I know. And yet you notice something different about these workers. They serve with such joy. And how that contrasts with some of your story. Why don't you share that with us? Yeah, um... Being in Thailand for 17 days, there's so many different things um, that happened and then I got to be a part of in people's faces. And so I feel like every single day, mostly at night, I'm going through a card catalog of what God did and um, trying to still process it. But the one thing that God really um, impressed on my heart was um, the readiness and eagerness um, of the people on the ground in Thailand. Um, If you've ever been on a mission trip, whether it's overseas or anywhere, um, this is not profound to you, likely. Um, Every time you go to an organization and you serve with them, people who are on the ground in different countries and doing what God has called them to do, they have this um, eagerness about them. They have this um, desire to serve and serve and do whatever it takes. And um, so this is not something that, if you would have told me before I went to Thailand that this was what God was going to lay on my heart, I would have been like, well, of course, that's the way it is. Um, People serve um, with all they have overseas. Um, But it was every single day and every single person I met, they had this eagerness of what God was doing. Um, 
there in Thailand, and we would ask them the simple question of what, when do you get tired? What do you do when you get tired? Because for us, it seems it would be so easy to get burnt out um, because the work is hard over there and it's dark. And most of them didn't have an answer because they don't. Um, we heard from Pat Sarvis, who I hope you get to meet someday. She said at this point in her life, she feels like she's sailing with the Lord. And the thing she's doing every single day is hard. She's working with refugees and she's going to the immigration detention center. And she's seeing families that don't necessarily have any hope um, for ever being in any other situation than, than what they're in. And we meet, um, we talked to Annie, D Annie and Jeff Dieselberg, who you met um, a couple of months ago. And they are working on the streets of Nana, the red light district. And it is so hard. They're seeing women just stuck in this process um, and stuck because either they don't want to or they can't get out, um, yet they don't get tired of it every single day. And um, so God just, every single morning when I was in Thailand, I woke up eager, and I didn't know it was eagerness um, until later on in the trip, but I woke up eager. What is God going to do today? Where are we going to see God? How do I get to partner with what God is doing? And the last day um, we did ministry, it was uh, at the Deaf Church, which was just an incredible experience. Um, and we had someone um, translating for us, and she kept using this word eagerness. And the pastor was saying, let's come with eagerness for the Lord. Um, and those people are the lowest of the low in Thailand. They live on the streets. They can't speak. Um, and people just treat them like dirt. Yet... They are coming with an eagerness, and they sure did come with an eagerness for the Lord. And so God just really impressed on my heart through all the experiences I had in Thailand to come with eagerness, wake up in the morning with an eagerness for the Lord. Not every day of my life is going to be a mountaintop experience like Thailand was. I get that, and God is impressing that on my heart. I'm going to be in the valley, and there's going to be long stretches in the valley. But God wants me every single day to come with an eagerness to say, God, where are you today and where can I partner with you? I hope that's true in your life too. It's hard. And I've come back and I prayed that on the plane and I prayed that every single day since then. And it hasn't been easy. And I get to work in a church. I don't have to work in the world like you do, although sometimes the church feels like the world. But what is it every single morning can I wake up and say, God, where are you and what can I do to partner with you and how can I have that eagerness for you? So I hope that encourages you. I understand that you didn't have the same experience as I did in Thailand, um, but I hope that we can wake up in the morning and just ask God that simple question. Where are you? What are you doing? And how can I come alongside you? Um, I just want to end by saying thank you to you. Um, in April, you guys approved a budget um, that helped me get to Thailand. And um, I don't take that lightly. This is my third time to Thailand and second time with Southside. And I truly do love Thailand and I love those people and I look forward to going back and visiting. And so I take your prayers very seriously and I take your support financially very seriously. So thank you from the bottom of my heart um, for all that you did to get me there. Good. Thanks, Liz. Uh, I'm going to stay with you just for another moment. Uh, unpackage it just a little bit about the fact that there are times you're not really eager to come to work. Just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, there's a saying that um, says ministry would be people if it didn't, or would be easy if it didn't involve the people. Um, and sometimes that's true. And I love every single one of you. Um, and I am 
So there's uh, almost butterflies in my stomach because this is my first time being back since Thailand. I went on vacation when I got back. Um, and I am so grateful to be here. I'm grateful to see each of you. Um, I'm grateful to be part of the family here at Southside. But ministry's hard and ministry's disappointing. Uh, we had a day uh, in Thailand where I got, <sighs> hopefully I don't make this story long, but we went to the immigration detention center and we took taxis and I got in the taxi that went the wrong way and we didn't end up making it to the immigration detention center in time to fill out paperwork. And it was full. Um, Tom was on there and the Shulks were um, there. This was my second time to the immigration detention center. Um, and so I had experienced it and I wanted this team, the second team to experience it. And I realized we weren't gonna get there in time. We weren't going to make it in. The rest of the team had made it, filled out their paperwork, and they were going to make it in. And I was discouraged, very discouraged. I was frustrated. And they kept saying, it's okay. It must be God's plan for us to go in. And I was thinking, easy for you to say. You've never been there. I've been there. I want you to experience it, and I want to go. I want to see these faces that I saw before. How could it not be God's plan? Um, and so I was extremely discouraged. I got off the taxi, um, ended up saying, you know what, we'll pray. Um, we'll pray, and then we went down to the immigration detention center before you go in, and the wives were there. Um, Derek's going to explain what immigration detention center is, but we ended up having this incredible experience outside of an immigration detention center, hearing the stories of these refugee women who have husbands and some of them children inside of the prison, and it became more meaningful experience for me than I ever could have imagined, and that was God's plan for that day, but I was discouraged. In ministry here at Southside, there's discouragement. Things don't go my way. Things don't go the way I had planned. People don't show up, and weather happens, and uh, numerous things happen, and I get discouraged. And instead of saying, okay, God, where are you in this, and how can I partner with you, sometimes I give up. And I say, you know what? It didn't happen. And so obviously, nothing's going to happen. And so I miss opportunities of where God is at work. Instead of um, saying, okay, this didn't happen, but how can we turn this into um, what you are doing? And so that's a really long way of saying ministry is discouraging, but I want to be that person that says, okay, it didn't work out, but I have an eagerness to continue to follow the Lord and serve him. And what does that look like, even though what I had planned didn't work out? Fantastic. Thanks, Liz. Lorraine, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? Are you nervous? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not really nervous either. Okay. I'm a little nervous for you, but I'm not nervous. <laughs> no. Uh, we watched Lorraine Blossom, didn't we? It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, she was the youngest one on the trip at 19 years old. And uh, uh, anytime you travel with a 19-year-old, there can be questions about maturity and all those kinds of issues. But uh, we saw her grow up, and that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Lorraine, you uh, uh, got to hear your mom speak Punjabi, mm-hmm. which was pretty remarkable, yeah. her mother tongue. And uh, you were with Pakistani refugees. And understand, uh, ISIS and the Taliban are very real, and they continue to persecute Christians in Pakistan and many Middle Eastern countries. Uh, just about everyone we talked to knew a close family member who had been killed for their faith. Uh, they showed us pictures on their phone of their face on banners being marched through streets uh, saying wanted, dead or alive, basically. 
uh, absolutely remarkable uh, faith. So they fled to Thailand. Once they got to Thailand, the Thai government doesn't want them. They became disposable. Their visas expired. Their passports expired. They have nowhere to go. So they lock them in cages, whole families. And there is no hope. There is no hope. But we saw their faith, which was absolutely uh, otherworldly. And so you come out of this comfy little Midwestern uh, lifestyle, and you saw some things that kind of blew you away. Uh, what about those Pakistani kids uh, impacted you? Uh, we know that you work with kids and some kids from broken homes. Tell us a little about that. Okay, so when we went to the houses with the Pakistan kids, they were in like this apartment, like pushed back and farther out in the city. And these kids were in a tiny little room, and they were all so nice and like humble and sweet to us. Although I know they can't go outside and they don't get to do the things they want to do, but yet they didn't show discouragement or sadness. And in Sheboygan, I teach um, tutoring for kids who have bad homes and parents who don't treat them nice. And they are so rude and disrespectful every day. And then I remember one day, these two girls had come to the school, and they were so sweet. And they were Pakistans. And they were there for about a year, and I followed them, and I taught them every day. And they left a really big impact on my heart. But then a year later, they got taken away because their parents had been put in jail in Pakistan for no reason, but they had to be taken back to their country and be raised by people they didn't know. So when I showed up at the school and I saw these kids who looked just like those two little girls, it broke me because I miss them so much and I can't see them ever again. So Very real, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think in your own heart, as you began to dig in, uh, you, you walked the streets, you saw women being exploited, and something triggered you from your past about an abusive relationship that you were in. And uh, tell us what happened because of that abusive relationship. Um, when I was told that we had to walk the streets and see the guys go up to these girls who were working on the streets, it made me really mad because um, since a year ago, I was in a really bad relationship where I was told that I was worthless and not pretty enough. I knew that these guys were going to do the same thing to the girls. They were going to take them and make them feel pretty and make them feel like they're important and then leave them and make them feel like they're nothing. So when I saw these girls' faces, they weren't mad or sad. They were just empty. They had no reaction on their face. They sat there, and it was hard because I knew exactly how they felt. I knew what it was like to not have a reason to live, but you need to because they didn't just make money to make their family proud, but that was the only reason that they were there. So. And yet inside of you, you recognize the fact that when you were treated like that, you too shut off your emotions and feelings. Is that true? Yeah, I um, shut down. Everything. I didn't talk to my friends. I would come home every day and wouldn't talk to my parents. I would try everything I could to just not feel emotion. And what did this trip change in you then? <laughs> I guess, like, seeing these girls, I know that I understand what they go through. So it makes me feel that now that I get a little bit of what they went through, not nearly as much, I feel that I can change people here and I can change people who 
go through similar things in high school or whatever, and I can make an impact on their lives. That's right. And we saw you laugh. We saw you cry. We saw the real Lorraine, and that was refreshing. Thank God for his work in your heart. And we pray that continues, right? Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Lorraine. Uh, this is Tom. Uh, Tom returned to Thailand. Uh, Tom was born in Thailand. And so uh, this was a homecoming a second time around. Uh, but it was just incredible to see Tom kind of connect the dots of his life, uh, having gone through refugee camps. Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then some of the childhood memories that it brought back for you? Sure. Um, I was born in Thailand. Um, my family are immigrants there from Laos, so my parents live in fear, fear of being arrested, fear of deportation. Um, so I don't really have a lot of respect for authority growing up here in America because of the fear that I had over there for teachers. But God, God did turn a switch on me. My first trip two years ago, my, my roommate is a police officer. <laughs> and, and Dustin is a pretty neat guy, so if you don't know him, police officer Dustin is, is a really great man. <laughs> and my wife is a teacher, so God really did turn a switch on me. <laughs> but we, we live in fear in Thailand, and it's, it, it's a lot of memories that, that's painful for me. So for me to go back, is, it was tough, but God allowed me to see uh, the people, the needs. And uh, when I went to Chiang Mai, and in a small village there, it really reminded me of the, the place I grew up in. Um, there's not much there. There's a lot of poverty. The living condition is not the greatest. There's, there's no bathroom there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I felt at first a little, a little bit of joy to see some place that I'm kind of familiar with. It reminded me of my past. And then when we went to, went to the Hmong villages, it kind of gave me a sense of sadness seeing the, the people there. They don't have a lot. Um, then I felt a sense of guilt. I felt guilty that I abandoned, that I have forgotten where I came from. Mm -hmm. Those type of people, those were my people. I used to live in those kind of villages. Um, I've been in the U.S. 20, 25 plus years. And... Uh, I asked myself, what have I done to help those people that, that were behind, that were, never made it to America? Mm -hmm. And that, that was a struggle for me. But seeing the, the Hmong churches worship and, and praise God in a manner that is so profounding and so impactful for me, that this joy in the voice and in the eyes, that, that gave me hope that God didn't abandon them. Um, yeah, and... It, it helped me examine my own faith. Here I am with a big church, nice building, luxury, uh, things that we have over here yeah. compared to what they have. And, and they are truly trusting in God and praising Him with, with all their hearts. And I want to go there to give them hope, and I think they kind of gave me hope instead. Oh, wow. Wow. Thanks, Tom. Uh, and I think your word was it's never too late. And I think you're called to make a difference. This isn't the end of your Thailand-Laos journey. Do you see that? It did open the doors and open my hearts. And yes, um, I think God really opened my hearts to really look into other places as well. Just all the small villages out there that hasn't been uh, seen by missionary or touched by God yet. It's, it's the start of a, a journey, I believe. Uh, 
I'm really excited about that, aren't you? Wouldn't it be great to send this couple uh, out from here one day? But anyway, thanks, man. <laughs> we'll see you over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can see the profound work that God did in each person's heart. Absolutely amazing. Uh, last uh, for this morning uh, is Derek. And uh, Derek has some stories to tell about the Immigration Detention Center. And um, I, I thought I'd like to explain what this is. Uh, you've got people who are allowed in for an hour a day uh, to bring food uh, to people who are in the Immigration Detention Center. And if they don't bring food, then they get rice porridge twice a day. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of people in the Immigration Detention Center. Uh, they live in a large room like this where there's not room enough for all of them to lay down at the same time. So the fluorescent bulbs are on 24-7. They have about a 14-inch space that they lay down. Once they're done sleeping after their eight hours, someone lays on the tile floor. There are no blankets. Uh, they lay on the tile floor. Then it's their turn to go to sleep. Some of these people have been in there three, four, five years and there is no prospect of getting out. And let me just make a political statement. I don't care, again, about your politics. I care about people knowing Jesus. Our borders in America are closed to these refugees, and they're crying out, can we come to America? No, you can't. Our borders are closed. Even though we are a country of refugees, by the way, uh, I don't care if they're from Laos, from Thailand, from Pakistan. Uh, so Canada's taking them. I'm very grateful for that, but they're very select in their process. And it uh, just forces you to think globally. We are not Americans. We are followers of Jesus first. I want to make sure we're understanding that in the proper order. And now I'm glad I'm in this country. I praise God. And each of us on these trips think, why wasn't that me born there? Why was I put here? And so, Pakistani refugees have fled to Thailand because of religious persecution. There's very few countries in the world that will take them. There's absolutely no hope of getting out except to be extorted all over again. So there's masses of people living in really confined areas. Uh, children are in these prisons uh, with wives and or husbands. And they will line up in the morning just to get a glimpse of their spouse as they're paraded by. Uh, it's absolutely an amazing kind of thing. And yet we encountered their faith, and it was remarkable. And we were able to, to pray with them. So we want to give you a little touch of, of what that might have been like. So uh, this is the interactive part of our service, just before we close. Okay. So uh, in the immigration detention center, it's a very large room, and they have an aisle uh, like this, and there's fences on both sides, as you can see. And literally people are yelling to someone across the fence. It is just noisy and total chaos. I mean, if you're not prepared for it because it's hot, you've just been patted down, searched, uh, treated like cattle uh, just to get in to see them, which very few Westerners uh, get that opportunity. This team got the opportunity to go in there. Absolutely incredible experience. So uh, let's practice what it might be like, okay? So they're standing three or four deep at the fence, maybe even deeper than that, just stacked. So I'd like you to stand, and you're going to make your way towards the center aisle in one group. That's why we set up the chairs like this. So everybody cram, I mean cram, 
down. No, you, you can't. No, no, the fence is here. You can't go. So you're looking at them that way. Okay. Okay. So you're looking. No, keep going. Cram to get. This is exactly what it's like. Only it's not quite so orderly. Okay. Keep cramming. No, no. Cram. I mean, bring it down. This is exactly the way it is. Okay. Now, I am incredibly grateful. Okay. I'm incredibly grateful that I live in America. Aren't you? Okay. So I want all the men to say with me the Pledge of Allegiance as loudly as you can. Okay. You may not remember it, but I'm thinking back to third grade. Uh, okay. Here we go. I pl- pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Good. That was really good, guys. Now, women, uh, you're going to be kind of the alternative. You're, you're going to be the fun ones. Okay? So what I'd like you to do is give me the lyrics to Jingle Bells. Now, you can go into the second stanza if you want, okay? So you're not going to sing, you're just going to say it, okay? So let's practice together, ladies, okay? Uh, One, two, three. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle all the way. Don't sing. Oh, what, what? Okay, you, you, yeah, that was a little soft, but you, you're going to get louder in just a moment. Okay, now, right back here. Phaedra, come here. Run, Phaedra. Everybody wants to go home. Good thing the Packers aren't playing until Sunday night. Okay, okay. Okay, you stay here. Can everybody stare at Phaedra just for a moment? Grant, come here. Okay, run, Grant. We're all waiting for you, Grant. Okay, now, this is what it's like in the Immigration Detention Center. Grant is back there trying to communicate with Phaedra over there. Grant is going to do something, say something to you. It's a very important message. I want you to know if you can hear the message over the din. You go back to your position. I wanted someone short. You can't work your way to the front either. Go to the back. Go to the back. Go back. Okay. And here. He can only see her just very randomly, right? He's got an important message for her. But the men are doing the what? And the ladies are doing what? Okay, and we're going to see if they can communicate. Can you see her? Can you even see her? Okay, cover, cover her up. Okay? So you've got to work your way around so you can see. This is exactly the way it is. 
And this is the volume. The fence is here, right? So on the count of three, each of you do your part. Okay, men, what are you doing? Ladies? You got your message? Let's see if Phaedra gets it. One, two, three, go. Isn't that exactly the way it is? Oh, wait, this goes on for an hour. Okay, all right, that's good enough. Derek, did that sound, you guys, did that sound exactly like the Immigration Detention Center? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah. That, that is exactly what you go into, only it's like 95 degrees. There's people from all the world, all kinds of di- different smells, different everything in there. These folk are in prison. Phaedra, what did your loved one say to you? Oh, that is so close. Grant, what were you saying? John 3.16. Okay? You get a little idea of the chaos. All right? So, thank you. You may be seated. Let's hear from Derek and we'll go home. All right. Very good. That was right. Wasn't that weird? That was. Ah, nice job. Thanks. Thanks for your participation. Good. Now, Derek was in there. Uh, at first, you were kind of blown away by the whole experience. In fact, it tore your heart out, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. And, and to be honest with you, um, I have the chills right now because what you just did was very, very much like it. Um, the, the only real difference was there's carpet here, and there wasn't a fence. Um, I mean, yeah, you're standing up against a fence and uh, trying to communicate with the other person on the other side. And often... The hard thing, too, is that you guys both speak English. In that case, we both speak English, but one is from the Pakistani side, so you don't quite understand as well either. Yeah, and all kinds of languages happening. This happens every day, day in, day out. Can you see those people hanging on the cages with that look of desperation (laughs) still in your mind's eye? Oh, I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. Yeah. And it's just like what you see on the screen there. I mean... That's what it is, only like Pastor John said, deeper. Yeah, yeah. and it is, it's, it's desperation. It really is. Yeah, and yet you saw their great faith. Uh, you encountered spiritual warfare mm-hmm. like you've never encountered before. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Um, well, like Pastor John said, there are situations where there are whole families in there. The problem is, is that the men are separated from the wife and their children, depending on how old the children are. So I do know that um, Miko and Aaron had a, a family. They had the mom and then the dad. They were in there, but they're, they're kept separate. So in these situations, they try and get them us to meet them together because this is an opportunity that they can be together, which was very refreshing and, almost, and heartbreaking at the same time. Pastor John said that we all cried while we were there, and I can guarantee I'm going to cry now, so just... A warning, because I think I cried more in that week than I have in my entire life. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking. Um, After I had gotten on, I was talking to a guy named Emmanuel, and he'll be getting out because he was sponsored by a church in Canada. But the thing is with him, as he gets out, he has to go to Canada, and he leaves his entire family back behind. 
in Thailand in the fear of if they go out, the immigration police could, could put them in the, in the, in the jail. Um, but yeah, towards the end of our time, Pastor John, these guys wanted the prayers of a pastor over them. And so Pastor John and Patros, now please understand, Patro, Patros, um, the guy that you saw in the picture earlier, he does this every single day. This is his routine. He works at night. He comes home. He goes to the IDC. And then he goes and sleeps a couple hours. And then he does it again. He does this every day. These people need him and rely on him. And he is selfless. An amazing man. Um, so while we were in there, Patras and, and Pastor John were praying over somebody. So we went as a team and put our hands on them and prayed with him. Uh, in, in agreement with, with what Pastor John was saying. I have felt the power of the Holy Spirit before, but never that tangibly. I mean, never that, like, that powerful. I mean, when we all came together and we all touched, that touch was just like, it was electricity. It was unbelievable to feel the power of the Holy Spirit in that place. Now, we talk about, oh, man, we've, we, we sense the power of the Spirit here or in church or wherever. But to feel it in the middle of that prison was just amazing. So we did that several times. We kind of walked around and Pastor John was praying, so we, we agreed with him. The very last time um, we did it, we were standing there. And as we're praying, I kind of felt a sense of, of looking up. So as we're praying, holding our hands up, I looked up. And straight behind the guys that we were praying for was this other man. And this man, I'll never forget his face. He had a, a black mustache and he was just glaring at us. And it was this look and feeling of evil like I hadn't felt before. And it was just like, man, Satan is working at this right now. This guy is looking at us. I was telling Pastor Michael about it later when they came and he said, did you smile at him? And I said, I don't think it would have done any good because his eyes were just looking straight through us. There was no sense of light there. Um, and right at that point, all I could find myself doing was shouting, quite literally, the name of Jesus. Because the, the battle that was going on in that very moment was so real. And it just, it killed me. It broke me. Um, but also to know that we serve a God that is so much bigger than, than Satan and what Satan is doing. And that man right there, like I said, I'll never forget his eyes because he was Satan in human form right there in front of me. And it just made the, the, um, the fight with, with, um, with evil just so, so real. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. changed you. Yeah. It changed it you. It did, yeah. And as you began to process that change, you started seeing people uh, differently. Uh, you worked with w- women of the night. You, you worked with uh, the homeless and the rejects. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, we all carry this kind of pride that says you're there and I'm here. And what was God doing in your heart? Um, God started working on me the week before we left. Because um, if you remember, Christian Lenti was here. And he is there working with the men that are there taking part in the services of the street. Um, and I think he started working with me then because Christian Lenti was talking. And one of the things he said was, he said, you know, we're just there. We just go and start conversations with guys. And my thought was, I remember sitting here going, How, what does that look like? Like, you're in the middle of the red light district. These guys that are here to take part in the sex industry, what, is, what does it look like to just start a conversation with a guy? And so um, 
that started changing my thinking a little bit. And then we got there, and of course, we're working with these women that have been completely redeemed and set free from the bondage um, of that sex industry and the, and the bondage that Satan had on them. So we see them, and then, yeah, we're down um, City Light. We were at the coffee shop, and uh, our role, Miko was singing. She was doing her, her concert with Nan, uh, one of the ladies from there, and then with Aaron, they were kind of singing. And it was our role as the men to stand outside and invite people in, say, hey, we got live music, come on in, we have great coffee, come in, get a cup of coffee, listen to some live music. So that was our role. Um, I, I guess... Being where I'm from, Midwest, I always have everything provided for me. I've known Jesus basically my entire life. I kind of had built myself up to be like, okay, I'm an elder in the church. I, I, I do all this stuff. I'm pretty good. God loves me, right? And that makes me at a, at a higher standard, so to speak. Or maybe God loves me even more because I'm with him. You know, these kind of things go through my mind. Mm -hmm. And so even when Christian was talking that time, I start to think like, what kind of guys go to Thailand to take advantage of girls? Who are these creeps? Why are they so terrible? Like that kind of stuff, those things. And then I'm thinking the same thing of these women that are, that are in prostitution. Like, what would make you do this? You know, this is something, you're terrible for doing this. Who would do this type of thing? What broke in me was like, who am I to say these things? I have, to be honest... I have prostituted my heart many, many times. I have been unfaithful to my Savior, somebody who's done so much for me, who's given his entire life for me, who gave his son for me. And here I am, and I give my heart away in an instant to things that don't glorify God. And yet I can call these men and these women something terrible and something awful. I'm, I'm just as bad as they are. And I learned that because on the street, like I said, I thought, how, how, is it to, how am I going to start up a conversation with these guys? I have nothing in common with, with them. Boy, do I ever. I have so much in common with them. And I learned that because as I'm standing on the street, Pastor John and Liz, they said, thank you for your prayers. Let me tell you, as I was standing on the street, now these are people that, like, guys are walking by that I would be intimidated by in Sheboygan. Right? Yeah. I would not, for the life of me, stop them and say, hey, how's it going tonight? How you doing? Knowing what their response could be, right? <laughs> the prayers that you guys offered up allowed God to take fear out of me. And I spoke to people I would have never spoken to before. I went after a guy. Like, this was, it was pretty interesting. His, his name was Andrew, and he walked by the first time, and he had two women on his arm. Two Thai women, young ladies. And he had a Ford Motor Company shirt on. And I'll never forget his face because he walked by and I said, hey, how's it going tonight? And he just kind of looked at me and, mm, and walked on. He was crabby. And that was my first thought. So the next thing I know, in the next store, one of his, the girls went into the store. And here he stood outside the store and probably 30 feet away. So I thought, I'll go over and talk to him. So I went over to talk to him. And he kind of does the same thing. And I just said, hey, look, you're standing out here waiting. Why don't you come into the coffee shop? We have live music Give you something to do while you're waiting. And he just kind of goes, nah, that's okay. Once again, crabby. So I came back to Pastor John, and we were standing outside the front. And um, as I'm talking to him, all of a sudden, the guy comes back. He stands right in front of me, and we start to have a conversation. 
And it was just so cool because I said, hey, you have a Ford Motor Company shirt on. Tell me about that. Do you work for them? No, I have this old 1967 Ford. So it opened the door. And all of a sudden, we started conversing. I come to find out that this man, um, he's been married a couple times. They're, he's going to move to Thailand with one of these girls and start a farm up in the north, he thinks. He said that his religion is karma. He also told me that if he dies today, he's completely ready to go. Because he has done enough good things as he's standing there with two prostitutes on his arm. So here I am going, man, he's, he's just like me. Like, I like cars, right? So then I keep talking to these guys, and one guy, it was, it was amazing. Sorry, I'll go faster. I'm no, sorry. you're fine. One you're guy fine. next to me, he's sitting, on the, he's sitting in a chair a little over, and I go to talk to him. He was just there for the girls, he said. He said, I'm just here for the girls. And I said, so you're going to stay on this side of the street, or you're going to go across the street to where the bar was right there? He goes, oh, I'll go over there later. So we start talking more. His wife was up in the hotel room. So then I talked to a guy, he's from Germany, and he starts walking by, and he told me, to make a long story short, he just said to me, he said, I'm lonely. My wife died of cancer a couple years ago. I'm lonely, and I'm just looking for physical companionship. That's all he wanted, and at that point, I was just like, oh, man, he's hurting. We all are hurting. Ivan, one of the guys that Michael talked about, Ivan, last week, he said to us, he said, I don't call them prostitutes. I don't call them that because I don't want to be labeled by what, by what I used to be. Yeah. And I thought, wow. He goes, you know what? They're no different than we are. They're just stuck a little longer without Jesus. That's it. And so for me, it broke me to think that I'm somehow better than these Johns and these prostitutes that are there. And it came just because I was having conversations with guys to learn that they're the same as I am. And like I said, they're lonely. We saw man after man after man walk by, by themselves. They're there alone. And they are lonely and hurting men. So. Thank you, Derek. Uh, these folk were really light in Thailand. I, again, I'm so proud of each of them. But as you can see, God's done a powerful work. Would you continue to pray for this team, that, that good work? that the Lord has started will continue until he completes it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, this concludes uh, our uh, Thailand emphasis. I hope you've enjoyed these stories. Uh, thank you. We went as a family. You were right there with us. And uh, we all share in the victory. We all share in the struggle. Um, but I'm excited to see how God is going to use these incidences that happened on the streets on the other side of the world for his glory going forward. Yeah, yeah. So rejoice. Uh, One of the ways that we can support missions is through giving. And uh, we have several vehicles to do that. Uh, On the offering card in front of you, there's a line that says international work. And that is one way you can do it. You can do it online as well. Uh, it's also called the Great Commission Fund. And uh, each of you should have been given uh, in an envelope that looks like this. Uh, on your way in and uh, it's called a faith promise because we have faith in the Lord to provide and say God how much would you have me give in participation Uh, I found that uh, this is a good discipline and whether you return the card or not is between you and the Lord Uh, you've got one right there several did last week that's great 
Uh, that allows the CNMA to kind of get a projected budget uh, as they compile these from churches and uh, they use formulas to say, okay, uh, how much are God's people giving and the alliance lives within our budget. All of our alliance missionaries are fully supported. They don't raise their own money. They're there on the field to do the work that God has called them to do without having the concern and the incredible burden of having to fundraise constantly. And so our giving goes to uh, help support these 700 missionaries uh, around the world. Uh, Half of what we take in uh, for the international work called uh, the Great Commission Fund uh, goes to support the work directly in Thailand, people on the ground. And so uh, would you look this over and prayerfully consider uh, being regular and consistent in your giving uh, above and beyond what you usually give uh, so that God's word might go forward with power just like we saw. All right? Good. Uh, The ushers are coming. We're going to receive our gifts to the Lord this morning. And uh, also, if you have that blue Connect card, if you're visiting with us or have a prayer request or something to report, use that blue card, and that can go in the plate as well. Uh, If you would like more information about uh, Right to Life uh, Sunday, uh, there is more information out on the Connect Center and uh, what's involved with Right to Life. I left that up there. Okay, Uh, a couple of things coming up. Next week, uh, we are going to take a look at fall and what's going to be happening in the coming months at Southside. Uh, I look forward to sharing with you uh, some of those things. And then uh, the following Sunday, we are going to start a new sermon series called All In. And we're going to be talking about uh, where we are when it comes to this idea of uh, outreach and serving. And so we're going to have some of the partnered ministries uh, that we work with right here in Sheboygan here to share about what God is doing in their areas of service. Uh, There's some wonderful things happening right here in Sheboygan. And uh, rather than reinventing the wheel, we want to support those ministries like Love, Inc., for example, who are making a a real impact on uh, folk right here in Sheboygan and Sheboygan County. And so that will take us then as a part of that series into how are we doing sharing our faith these days? Quite honestly, the evangelical church is in tough shape. We're not seeing people coming to Jesus. What do we do about that? We learn another way to do it? I don't think so. We're going to be talking about some real heart issues uh, and give you some real practical tools, I think, Uh, how can we share our faith in these days? It's amazing to me. I can take a team to Thailand. They're as bold as lions. Put them in their place of work, and it's like, hmm. Hmm. Why is that? So we'll be looking at some of those kinds of issues. Why can we love neighbors over there, but we don't even know the names of our neighbors who live on both sides of us? Why is that? Why is that? Not guilt. Not guilt. There's no guilt or shame in this. It's what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? So I'm excited to be sharing with you some of those weeks with Pastor Michael. Okay? Great. Anybody else got anything else you want to share? Song you'd like to sing? Dance you'd like to do? A question you'd like to ask? Well, that's a great question. How did I come up with Jingle Bells and the Pledge of Allegiance? Is Erin in here or is she downstairs?
Oh, good, I can blame her. Um, Aaron was working, and I, I went to Aaron, and I said, you know, I like the Pledge of Allegiance, but I don't want to make it sacrilegious in any way because it is an important statement about our country. It wasn't designed to be fun, but I needed something that everybody knew. You know how hard it was to come up with something everybody knew? So we tried some limericks, some children's, like, Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. First thing I asked Liz, and she had this weird Iowa version of that thing that was like, what? <laughs> then we did Ring Around a Rosie, and I asked somebody else, and they had a different version of that too. I'm like, man, oh man, what is it? So I had to find something that everybody knew. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I wanted two kind of opposing things, but you seemed to know them real well. That was good. That was good. good. Any other questions? That was a great question. Yeah. Uh, makeup. That's a great question. We'll close with that one. Uh, the Nightlight gave uh, gifts of makeup to uh, those who work in the bars in the sex industry as gifts, as an opening for them to share the love of Jesus. And so these were packaged and actually distributed on the streets as a gift. I don't have to pay for this? No, we want to give you this. Why would you give it to us? Because God loves you, and we do too, and to see where those conversations go, right? So that was just to open the door. And thank you for those of you that provided that makeup. Uh, That went a long way uh, there on the streets of Bangkok, which will have results going into the future. So thank you very much. Okay? Good. Good. That's why I want the questions asked. Yeah, why all this makeup? That's fun lugging the suitcase of makeup around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, let's stand together, shall we?